Welcome to Meekum Presents On The Move, brought to you by State Farm. It's the show geared toward keeping you up to speed with the latest auto news, event coverage, and expert industry insight. Now, here are your hosts, Matt Avery and John Craman. Hey, and welcome to another On The Move. John, today we are talking with a really special guest. It's a guy that we met at last year's SEMA show, and you and I are so excited because what he's working on really could drastically alter transportation and the collector car space as we know it. Uh, We'll be chatting with Mike Copeland. He is CEO of Arrington Performance. Now, before we get to our conversation with him, John, coming right up, we have another Mecham auction. This time we're headed down to Orlando for a summer special. And uh, what do listeners need to know? Yeah, this is becoming rapidly, Matt, a Mecham tradition. It was just sort of temporarily added onto the schedule to the past couple of years, a summer event down in Florida. And the good news is it's been so successful. I'm going to predict and say that I think we'll be going down every summer down to the Orlando area with an auction. This year, they're really doing it big, Matt, July 6th through 9th. Now, that's four days. We're going to have 12 hours of coverage uh, on, of course, Motor Trend TV and also on Motor Trend Plus. Looking forward to that. And just kind of looking uh, down a list of the inventory, one of them popped out at me as being what might be one of the stars. I'm anxious to get your uh, comments on this. We've got uh, one year only, 1987 Buick GNX coming up to cross the block. Only 547 were built. This one has 55 original miles on it. We know how hot they've been in the past. Uh, is that going to, are they going to continue? Or, uh, you know, is this thing going to, is this thing going to not surprise us? I'm going to predict it's going to bring crazy six-figure-plus numbers. What do you think? Uh, no disagreement there, John. And 80s muscle is on the rise. And like you said, these are really hot. And man, with 55 actual miles, this is kind of like almost like buying one brand new, still in the wrapper. So really cool to see that. And the other thing, too, that you and I have yeah. identified is a lot of exotics. You know, it seems like Florida is just a big market for these really late model, high performance, exotic supercars. Yeah, and that's definitely a trend, Matt. You know, not uh, to take anything away from you know, traditional Mecham inventory, you know, 50s Chrome and Finn era cars, resto mods, uh, muscle cars, of course, from the 60s and the 70s. But these uh, Ferraris and Porsche and the high end Mercedes Benz performance cars continue to grow and grow and be a part of the Mecham landscape. And we are we are all in favor of that. Really looking forward to getting down to Orlando and covering the action on Motor Trend. Absolutely. And of course, if listeners want to check out uh, all the details as well as all the consignments, you can find all of those and a whole lot more over at Mecham.com. John, let's, uh, let's talk about a recent trip you and I went on. You and I headed out west to uh, southern california to take part in the motor press skilled summer drive day it was uh the event was sponsored by mecham and motor trend and man it was a lot of fun out in the canyons of malibu uh basically the motor press guild or mpg as it is known as one of the many regional automotive groups all around the country that really connect automotive journalists and media folks with OEMs and uh, a lot of the different automaker reps. Uh, it's a great opportunity for you and I to stay connected with what's happening in the world of new cars. And this event did not disappoint. Uh, we had a chance to do a little kind of head-to-head <laughs> action of some vehicles that you and I have been keeping our eyes on. And yep. that is the light duty truck segment. Segment A lot of new entries in the last 18 months. And so you and I got behind the wheel of two of the most notable, starting with the 
the 2022 Hyundai Santa Cruz. And then right after uh, carving up some Canyon roads in that, we jumped right into a 2022 Ford Maverick just to kind of get some impressions and just to really see what these two were all about. So let me ask you, because yep. uh, this was our first time behind both of these vehicles, behind the wheel of both of these vehicles, what was kind of your first impression? Well, and Matt, what a what a perfect and ideal opportunity for us to do a comparison of a couple of vehicles we've been talking about on the podcast for the last year. And before I give you my initial impressions, I really think it's important to acknowledge both of these vehicles as really the tip of the spear for maybe more truck or truck-like vehicles. Uh, with an affordability factor that might be coming out. We have no news of any other manufacturers other than Ford and Hyundai currently with the vehicles of these types, a light duty or a compact truck. But the first impression, boom, right off the bat was, wow, the Maverick in person sure looks like a shrunk down F-150, while the Santa Cruz definitely looks more car-like as far as the organic lines. Uh, what was your first impression of this pair? Well, the thing that jumped out right away, John, is like you said, how different they are. And I think I'm going to start recognizing that I, it's going to be tough for uh, consumers to cross shop because they are so different. Right. The Maverick really draws on that boxy truck heritage, whereas the Hyundai is really kind of moving into kind of a space of its own, really a space that we haven't seen a vehicle in since I'm going to say the Subaru Baja, which also kind of bucked the trend of it really wasn't a truck. It was kind of an adventure vehicle. Uh, so with that in mind, I think it really helps consumers to recognize that these two vehicles, while they, they do have some similarities, they really are for different mentalities. Uh, so let's dive into first the Maverick because they had two trims on site. They had an XLT and a Lariat, including the, uh, uh, we had the chance to drive a hybrid, got to really experience that out on the roads. Uh, I think the thing that I was taken aback with, John, is how the power was adequate, but most importantly, I think inside it was spacious. It really seems like a very functional vehicle, and it makes sense why these things are being gobbled up by consumers because they're really attractive from a price point and an efficiency standpoint. Well, that's a good point. You know, the Maverick inside gives you the immediate impression that you're in a truck. That having said, though, some of the colors and some of the textures and some of the materials are definitely non-traditional. I don't consider it to be particularly trendy. I think it's going to hold up well over a long period of time. I really liked the purposeful look with just a little bit of a style. No real pretension for it being particularly upscale, uh, especially considering that the trim levels that we experience the XLT, which is mid trim level and the Larry at the top and the XL is the base. But let's just begin by saying that at a $20,000 base price, the Maverick really is a value leader in the automotive world today. And as we get into the comparison of the Santa Cruz, I think we're, I'd be curious to hear what your conclusion is. I kind of have a conclusion that I think these two uh, rigs are kind of operating uh, in a com in a, in a little bit of a different direction. How about you? Absolutely. And and I think you see that when you uh, get behind the wheel of the Santa Cruz, because the price point is it's it's up there. The one we drove was over just over forty thousand right. dollars, which uh, it shocked me. It's yeah, it, it shocked me, too. Now, I will say you you do see a lot of that inside. You mentioned you mentioned earlier a very good point, which is behind the wheel of the Santa Cruz. It's way more car like one of the things that jumped out right away at both of us was that massive center stack with the capacitive touch buttons. <laughs> yeah. So the 
those are the uh, for those who are unaware, that's that's where you, you are able to uh, make adjustments to your climate and to your media system. But it's not really a button. It's a it's a touch screen. That to me is a big indicator of who this vehicle, this truck is for. That's not something that trades, you know, folks in the trades are going to be going after. They want something more robust. You can't really make adjustments with gloves. Now, that being said, the Santa Cruz, I think, will find a niche with folks that uh, do have a little bit more income that want kind of a, a fun luxury, if you can, uh, adventure vehicle. And I think that's where the Santa Cruz really fills in that gap. Whereas the Maverick, like you said, is really going to be uh, attractive to folks that are looking for more of a budget for friendly buy that can really have some serious capability. Well, when you consider that both of the Mavericks that we drove, uh, and I do want to say that the hybrid is the 2.5 liter Atkinson cycle with a CVT transmission, while the Lariat version that we drove was the was the all-wheel drive, but a conventional two-liter turbo with a conventional automatic transmission. So two completely different powertrains. Uh, both were satisfying, but you could definitely feel the extra power of the traditional non-hybrid. I mean, that two-liter turbo with the all-wheel drive really had a good punch, but not nearly as potent as the much more expensive Santa Cruz with its turbocharged 2.5-liter four-cylinder. It was really surprisingly quick. But, you know, I think just to kind of... Uh, put it maybe in the most simple terms the way the way that i left it is is when you're behind the wheel of the hyundai you feel like you're behind the wheel of a car maybe even a luxury car when you're behind the wheel of the maverick you do feel like you're in a truck so let's uh talk about percentages 80 percent uh car 20 percent truck on the hyundai and i think we can maybe reverse that around backwards and say that uh you know the maverick feels more like 80 percent truck and 20 percent car nothing wrong with that because they both represent a different i think a different purpose yes i think they'll be cross-shopped but when the smoke clears when the smoke clears and especially you put the roughly five thousand dollar difference in the base price between the two vehicles i think the mavericks are going to come out a little bit ahead for a buyer that not only wants better value but wants more truck personality what direction do you think you'd go? Well, you put me on the spot when we were yep. behind the wheel, and uh, I I lean towards the Maverick. I think it's got a little bit more charm. It's got a little bit more personality, and it's got a lot more value, which I think, for me personally, is attractive. It really feels yes. like a little rig that you can just uh, have a ton of fun in. And you're right. The Hyundai does have a much more premium upscale feel to it. The key thing that I like, John, about them, regardless of which direction you lean towards, I like that they're both smaller, really nimble, really easy to get around. And I hope we see more of them because I really think it's a great segment that has loads of potential down the road. Yeah, you know, you say see more of them, not only from, of course, from Ford and Hyundai, but will any of the other manufacturers take a look at really what the success of these vehicles uh, off to a very good start? Will we see more from some of the other brands? We'll be keeping an eye on those. Absolutely. All right, John, well, let's wrap up with a uh, final bit of car news, something that you and I are very excited about and something you and I have been keeping our eye on, and that is the latest from Ford on what will be the all-new 7th generation uh, tentatively known as a 2024 model year Mustang um, identified as the S650 generation. So a lot is not known at this point, but let's kind of talk about what we know so far. So uh, Ford has confirmed that it will be coming, that this will be a uh, traditional two-door Mustang buy style. Um, I know some people are still kind of having a hard time <laughs> distinguishing with the Mach-E, you know, the four-door um, uh, electric vehicle, yep. but Ford has confirmed this will be a traditional two-door format. Um, likely 
debuting next spring. And I'm going to say, John, likely debuting in April because the Mustang fans out there will know that that could coincide with April 17th, the anniversary date of when the Ford Mustang made its debut in 1964 at the New York World's Fair. To me, that all makes total sense from a debut standpoint. Now, let's get into the nuts and bolts. This is where things get a little bit more murky from Mm -hmm. a uh, powertrain standpoint. We don't know a lot. Likely, it will have a four-cylinder um, engine probably is the base and then from there we we likely will see a v6 and are hoping for a v8 we're not sure well what we know so far is is that we're reading between the lines ford put out some promotional material that clearly showed the shift pattern of a six-speed manual transmission on a promotional photo my thought tells me that they're teasing and they're letting us know that six-speed manual is going to survive and then another teaser video came out with the sound of a v8 engine will they update the coyote for a transplant or are they putting in a powertrain that's got maybe the sound of a v8 without we don't know but it looks like ford's very serious matt and this is good news to me that they're going to push forward with the legacy and the production of the mustang and more than likely they're going to rem- it's going to be available in a variety of different trims and i just want to point out that the current platform kind of hard to believe it seems like it debuted just a year or two ago uh the s550 the current platform that debuted back in 2015 so presuming that we get this new mustang in 2024 that means that we have enjoyed eight years of the current generation mustang where has the time gone meekum auctions is proud to bring you on the move with matt avery and john Craman. for more on the world of collector cars head over to meekum.com now let's get back to the show well, John, our next guest, there's a bit of a backstory about how you and I first crossed paths with him, and it goes back to SEMA of last year. You and I were on site in Las Vegas, taken in the show, lots to see, lots to uh, kind of get distracted by, and there was one vehicle in particular, I remember distinctly, you and I both came away from it saying, man, that is something cool, and that is something we want to know more about, which is pretty hard to do at the SEMA show, because that is where... All of the top builders come out to showcase the latest products, the latest hardware, the latest what they've been up to. But like I said, there was one vehicle in particular, and it was a 1948 Chevrolet 3100, kind of a ruby color. Really well done, high-quality build. That's not really why you and I were drawn to it. It was when the hood was popped, you and I discovered that that classic rig was powered by hydrogen. I know it blew you and me both away, and we were like, man, we got to find out more about this. Yeah, and I'll tell you, the the guy behind all of this, we met him there. We're going to have him on the podcast today. His name is Mike Copeland. Uh, he is the CEO of Arrington Performance. Uh, the website, by the way, shophemi.com. They are the leaders in selling parts and technical support and engines for late model Hemis. But we're not going to talk Hemis today. <laughs> we are going to talk about this particular vehicle, how it came about, and how he figured out and developed hydrogen to be able to power this rig now before i bring mike in let me tell you a little bit more about it it is powered by a magnuson supercharged 6.2 liter ls based engine old school five-speed manual transmission it's got vintage air conditioning and much more this is a high quality truck by any standard but what we're going to focus on and talk about is the fact that it is powered with hydrogen with that mike thank you so much for joining matt and i on the podcast today Oh, hi, guys. I'm happy to do it. All right. So take us right to the beginning. Where did you first, where did it become on your radar screen 
Uh, you're an engineer by trade, super smart guy, Matt, and I learned that when we met you. Br- bring us into how hydrogen got on your radar screen and why. Well, hydrogen has long been you know, known that it has some, some positives and some negatives, right? So the positives are that when you, uh, when you burn hydrogen, there's no emissions. Uh, the other positive is that there's more element to make hydrogen in the world than anything else. So those are all positives. The negative is it's somewhat limited in, in availability today, although that's changing every single day. So um, that that was really the main negative. There's a uh, you know a misnomer out there. You know the Hindenburg had hydrogen in it, and and a lot of people think that's why it it uh, exploded and crashed. And and anybody that researches it will realize that was not the reason. They coated the outside of a of a cloth balloon and then hit a power line and, uh, and the coating they used, uh, there were eight different chemicals and every one of them was flammable. So they actually caught on fire, a hole ruptured in it. The hydrogen all came out and of course it burns when exposed to flame. But, uh, so there's a lot of misnomer about that, but, uh, you know, looking at all of those things, you know, that, that we knew that we could address, and make a safe system and something that operates. So um, my hydrogen program started actually, uh, so for, I, I used to work at GM. I was an engineer at GM. I was uh, at the end, one of the lead engineers in the performance division, building all the one-off stuff. And, uh, and throughout my career, I built the first ever. So if there was an idea or a new powertrain or a new anything, a new suspension system, I would uh, engineer those components into some form of vehicle that we could test and develop with. So uh, throughout my GM career, at least for 25 years of that, uh, Bosch was a big supplier to GM, and and I worked with them a lot. Built some really strong relationships with them, and uh, actually this whole hydrogen program started because uh, one of the top guys at Bosch, and, and when I met him 25 years earlier, he was a worker like I was, and uh, we ended up becoming friends, still are. He was retiring. They wanted to have a retirement kind of get-together, and they wanted to come to my shop. I'd worked with a lot of engineers and everything through the year, you know, through the years, and so we all met here at my shop, and, and, you know, I showed and did a tour for everybody, and then we were all just sitting around BSing, and the subject of hydrogen came up, and we were talking about it. They had interest and had some experience. I had a lot of interest, and the rest is kind of history. So when did plans get underway for this 48 Chevy, Mike? Um, they, they didn't get serious until about a year before, uh, about the, the November before the SEMA where we debuted the truck. So November 2020. Yes. Okay. Yep. And that was when we started, and, you know, obviously this is a new technology, and there's a lot to learn, and uh, so we made some decisions on best practices, and, and uh, you know, I'm a hot rodder, right? So I have been my entire <laughs> life, and uh, so it was a natural for me to, to, you know, I own an engine build company. We went in and made a bunch of decisions, built the engine with a lot of additional safety uh, features in it, and and from that, I mean to make it stronger and make it hold up because we didn't have a lot of knowledge in exactly what hydrogen would do when we put it in a supercharged V8. Did you run this engine on a dyno or have you done all your testing in the truck itself? Um, 
all of the testing on this specific engine has been done in the truck. Oh, cool. So we've run engines on the dyno, but they were different configurations and much, much smaller. And uh, this is, as far as we know, in anybody, any, even any of the, the big engineering companies, this is the first time that we've ever supercharged an engine and put it on hydrogen. So take us into the actual operation of the engine uh, as far as power output, any unique characteristics. Um, it sounds like you beefed up the engine just to be on the safe side to make sure that it was going to be plenty strong. What's it like to drive this thing and operate it? How different is it from uh, gasoline-powered? Uh, it drives and, and operates just like gasoline. I mean, the only difference between the two from that standpoint is there's absolutely no smell. Oh. If you stand behind the truck, there's no carbon monoxide, there's no carbon dioxide, there's no hydrocarbons. It has no smell. And when you cold start it, you get just a little bit of, uh, like, water mist that comes out of the tailpipes. Mm. And once the exhaust comes of temperature, there's nothing. It just it sounds like a, like a gasoline engine. It, uh, it drives like a gasoline engine. Um, I mean, we, you know, we've made great inroads with it and, uh, we're just now running power numbers on it. And, uh, actually, uh, probably tomorrow on Friday, I will, we'll be running a big power test with it. And then I'll be kind of announcing to the world what the numbers are. Oh. We've already far exceeded, uh, anything anybody that's ever tried to do hydrogen before has made for a performance number. So you guys have a lot more dialing in, and like you said, there's a lot more of news coming related to what you guys have already done. When you take a step back and you look at kind of the bigger picture, Mike, what's in store next for the evolution of this technology and the rollout? Well, you know, we've learned a lot, right? We've learned, uh, you know, mixtures, and we've learned engines. We've also learned that a lot of the things that I put into the engine for safety uh, from a standpoint of durability and that kind of stuff aren't necessary. So we've, we've learned that we can run a standard production gasoline engine on hydrogen with virtually no changes to the engine itself. So we have, we've learned that. We've learned we can control engine temperatures with fuel mixtures. We, we've learned a tremendous amount. And, um, you know, to do the to do the conversion, we run a, a tank in the bed of the truck that wasn't in it at SEMA. Uh, my tank was made in uh, Canada, and Customs impounded it for five weeks. Oh, <laughs> it tried my. to come into the U.S. <laughs> but uh, you know, on a positive side, we could run the engine on uh, welding tanks full of hydrogen. They make specific tanks designed for hydrogen, and we've used those. And uh, so we now have the tank, and it's in the truck, and all that. But um, you know, those were minor inconveniences. Um, the the system uh, runs at 350 bar, so okay. that's the pressure in the tank, which is like 5,074 psi. Uh, we run a you have to run a special tank. Uh, hydrogen is the lightest element known to man. Hmm. So, in a numeric uh, numbering system that they've come up with for for defining gas, the weight of gas of a gas is the state. Um, hydrogen is a number two. There, there is not a number one, but they left a space just in case we ever find anything lighter. Uh, the air around us that we breathe is a 34. So that defines the kind of the, how light hydrogen is in relationship to air. So, um, 
that that being the case, it's uh, if you release hydrogen, it's going straight to the sky. You can't, you know, if it's released, you can't stop it, right? You can shut it off and keep it from going, but that's it. It's also very, very small molecules that make it up. So it will permeate through, uh, like, for instance, a standard stainless steel fuel line that we would use in a hot rod. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you put hydrogen in that line, it will escape through the line. Wow. Actually through the stainless. So our tank is specifically designed to hold hydrogen. Uh, our tank is DOT certified. We use uh, electronic control valves on the ends that we control with the ECM for turning the hydrogen off and on. We have special uh, lines, uh, a military uh, spec that was designed for a, a, some certain military applications. So they will not permeate. Uh, we regulate the uh, hydrogen pressure down to about 8 bar, which is like 115 PSI at the fuel rail. We run uh, currently 16 fuel injectors. We run eight in the traditional location. Uh-huh. And then we machined an adapter that goes between the intercooler lid and the supercharger and added eight more there. And we do that because the only all the parts that are out there right now for this are experimental. And they were never designed for a 6.2 V8. They were designed for like a 1.3 liter three-cylinder engine. And so to get the volume we needed, we had to, to run 16 of them. So um, that's the basics of the, of the system. We have a specific computer that, that Bosch manufactures. We operate in thresholds uh, that, that traditional uh, gasoline engines do not operate in. As an example, a uh, traditional gasoline engine, the kind of accepted best performance number in a naturally aspirated state is 14.7 to 1 fuel ratio. Right. So that's 14.7 parts of air to one part of fuel. Uh, our system operates in the 75 to 1 fuel range to 100 to 1. So we have to rewrite software and open parameters and do a lot of those things and in the computer and because Bosch owns it, they have access to all that. So it was very easy to do that. So, but, um, that's kind of the the story behind the components and how they function. Based on, based on the work that you've done, Mike, where do you see this playing out? Do you see widespread adoption of this technology? Will it be more isolated for kind of special projects or do you see it becoming very mainstream? Well, you know, we're, in the process, we'll very shortly here and within the next four weeks or less, we will be running uh, emission tests for CARB. So we're running those uh, here in here in Michigan. Uh, Mall has a full emission test facility here, and we're going there to run the the, the truck. And we're working with CARB, and, and our goal is to have a zero emission certification. So um, we know that's what it puts out. The only output is is water out the tailpipes and, and a very minimal amount of that. So, so we know that's the case. Once I get that, that certification, our goal is to take this, uh, as a conversion package. So we want to be able to retrofit and we can retrofit, uh, any four stroke internal combustion gasoline engine to run on hydrogen. Our system will function on a weed whacker, a generator, a boat motor, a, uh, you know, anything, right? So lawnmowers could run on hydrogen, any and all of it can. So this is a path 
to zero emission. All right. Okay? All right. People so are our saying. Our goal is retrofit kits. Listeners are going to say, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Toyota Hyundai both currently have offered or have offered in the past hydrogen-powered vehicles. This is not cutting edge, but help us a minute understand the radical and complete difference. My understanding with the current production, there's only a few, as I mentioned, uh, hydrogen-powered vehicles are not internal combustion. The hydrogen gets converted to electricity and runs electric motors. Is that a correct statement? That is absolutely correct. Okay. Most of the vehicles that are out there today um, and you're right, Honda, Hun, uh, you know, they, a couple Toyota builds one, Hyundai builds one. Right. Uh, Nissan has one. Oh, okay. Um, they're in very limited availability, but they are fuel cell vehicles. Uh, in a fuel cell, there's a, a membrane inside the cell. You inject hydrogen into it. You burn the hydrogen inside the fuel cell. As it travels through this membrane, it generates electricity. And then that electricity is then stored in a battery pack and used to, to drive wheel motors, electric wheel motors. In our case, uh, and, and that system is also very popular in a number of buses, right, in some commercial vehicles where they put a fuel cell in and electric motors. In our case, we physically inject the hydrogen into the port. It travels through the valve into the combustion chamber. <laughs> it's compressed, lit with a traditional spark plug, traditional coil, traditional coil wire, and we ignite it just like you do gasoline, and then we travel it out the exhaust valve into the port and out the exhaust. Incredible. So same, same hydrogen can be used in both, and, but the process by which we extract the energy is different. Now, Hydrogen, one of the things that people ask about is, is, you know, hydrogen, how do you produce it? And there are basically three ways that hydrogen is produced today. So the traditional way, which is considered somewhat dirty because it takes electricity and other things to do it, it has a carbon footprint. There is today what we call blue hydrogen. Blue hydrogen is manufactured with a much, much reduced carbon footprint. It uses some solar energies and things like that to produce it. It can be created, as I say, with a very, very small carbon footprint. There's also green hydrogen that's available today. Green hydrogen is manufactured with zero carbon footprint. So it can be uh, manufactured. They use solar. They use wind. They use some other things to get the electricity part. But then it's, it's the process is different by which it's manufactured. Fuel cell vehicles require a very clean hydrogen to, to operate properly. We don't require the same level, but mm-hmm. that's what's commercially available. Okay. okay, So we can use any of those processes, hydrogen manufactured in them. In the, in the case of green hydrogen, we use take hydrogen that's manufactured with zero carbon footprint. We put it in our vehicle. We create we extract the energy, create transportation with zero carbon footprint. There's no battery. The only battery in the truck is I have an Optima that starts it. Other than that, we don't use electric wheel motors. We don't use battery to, to drive anything, none of that. So we have a, a completely from start to finish providing transportation, which is 100% without a carbon footprint. Impressive. Uh, current cost, that's 
probably going to change going forward. But current cost of hydrogen compared to gasoline. So if I use pre-war uh, numbers in California, because <laughs> California is the only state where hydrogen is commercially sold in a pump where you just drive up to the pump and fill your vehicle. Okay. There are stations, and I have one here in Michigan, but they're not just general public stations, okay? So I'll use California's numbers. Uh, pre this, this latest war thing we have, uh, 87 octane gasoline in California was about $5 a gallon. Okay. If I do the hydrogen, we buy in, by the kilogram, and that's how we use it. But if I do the conversion kilogram to gasoline, and use the current number that was in California. Uh, hydrogen is about three fifty a gallon. Interesting. So it's about a third less. The other interesting thing about hydrogen is uh, in some of the stations there are there were when I debuted the truck there were like fifty hydrogen public filling stations in California. Okay. They're in process uh, to have in the next eighteen to twenty four months two hundred plus wow. in California. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Hydrogen can be manufactured on site. You don't have to manufacture it in a big facility oh. somewhere and then transport it. You can manufacture hydrogen, pulling air in and subtracting the moisture from the air and create hydrogen with it. So the gas station could, I'm using the word refine, maybe not the right word, but they can, they can generate hydrogen on site. That's what you're saying? Yes, and, and some of them in California do already. The one facility that we have near me here in Michigan, uh, that's how they do it. They, they just use uh, uh, the moisture from the air and then generate hydrogen from that. Hmm. Wow. So, Mike, it's clear you are far from done with this initial truck. You mentioned you've got testing in the works. You've got lots of other development work happening. I think what I'm wondering is, any other vehicle projects in the work? And maybe more importantly, when will people get a chance to see them? Well, um, we are working on our SEMA uh, 2022 build. And it is uh, it will, again, be hydrogen powered, but it will be an, another advanced step in hydrogen in, in where we go and what we do. Um, if everything stays on track and, and where we're going, the goal is to debut this new vehicle there. It'll be in the uh, Redline oil booth, just okay. like my last truck was. Yep. Uh, there, If you don't know, Redline's owned by Phillips 66. So Phillips 66 has a huge interest in hydrogen. They're in the process of putting... Hydrogen is more popular in other countries than it is necessarily in the United States. So, But, but Phillips 66 is in the process of building 150 approximately hydrogen filling stations across Europe. So um, they have a huge interest in hydrogen and, and they're a great partner. So uh, Redline is a good partner of mine. We use a lot of their oil and well, we use their, all of their products in virtually every car we build. So um, anyway, so we will debut there. It's another step in the technology. And if everything again stays on track, uh, I hope, my goal is to announce at the SEMA show this year when retrofit kits will be available for vehicles. You had mentioned to Matt and I that you are in the process of developing a website uh, to keep folks up to speed on your hydrogen developments. When is that going to launch and how will they be able to find it and what's the web address? Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're on target a couple more weeks. 
we're, oh, good. we're okay. making progress soon? and, and, and uh, yeah, soon. So it's where we'll list, uh, you know, keep people up to date on what we're doing. When we do events like or shows like what I'm doing with you guys right now, we'll link all those there and, good. and people will be able to go there and see all the different ones that, that we've done and, and keep up to date on the latest and greatest information. Um, it is uh, Arrington Performance dash hydrogen.com. Okay. And, uh, so they'll be able to go there. And uh, I can tell you, we have a lot going on with this truck and there are going to be some major, major announcements mm. within the next couple weeks, couple months. So. <laughs> cool. Oh man, you've got John and I on the edge of our seats, Mike, with, yep. uh, with a statement like that. I mean, I know John and I are so excited at the possibilities of what you and the team are doing with this technology. This would open up the door for all kinds of classic applications, retrofitting, a lot of exciting, in addition to brand new adoption vehicle. So all I can say is we can't wait to see what you have next. Mike, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Appreciate you taking the time. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll see. Maybe we can work something out, and I can bring the truck to one of your Mecham auctions. Hey. Oh, there. we'd love that. That sounds good. In the meantime, we will see you at SEMA. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to Mecham Presents On The Move, brought to you by State Farm. For more information, visit Mecham.com. And join us again next time as we take you inside the world of muscle and collector cars and more.